Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Justin Cole, Director of the Center for Pharmacy Innovation at Cedarville University. Welcome to Disrupt, a podcast from Cedarville University's Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, we are talking with Dr. Mohan Pereira, Assistant Professor of Physics at Cedarville University, who will be talking with us today about the topic of nanomedicine. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Pereira. Hi, uh, Dr. Justin Call. So I want to start by simply hearing a bit about your story. So tell us where you came from, um, what your training is. We want to get to know you better. Well, uh, actually, uh, I'm not from here originally. Uh, I was born and raised in Sri Lanka. Uh, it's a beautiful island nation in Indian Ocean. If you don't know where it is, and I completed my primary and secondary education over there. Uh, I then did my undergraduate studies at the University of Colombo, and I majored physics. Uh, after that, I got my teaching certificate from University of Cambridge. Uh, after having some work experience, uh, I joined the University of Rhode Island to pursue my doctorate in physics. And there I did my specialization in biological physics and nanotechnology. Um, more specifically, nanomedicine. Uh, during that period, I mainly dedicated my time to learn and engineer novel types of targeted nanomedicine for cancer and other diseases utilizing PLIP technology and nanophysical principles. Uh, while I was there, uh, I worked under uh, uh, two famous guys uh, in that field, Dr. Oleg Andrew and Dr. Jana Reshitniak, and they are they're one of leading experts in uh, this area. Then I was invited to join the Yale School of Medicine as a postdoctoral associate to investigate uh, biophysics behind human papilloma viruses and to further work on uh, PLIP technology. Uh, at Yale, I worked under Dr. Dan DiMaio, uh, who is a leading figure in the field of virology, and also worked with Dr. Don Engelman, uh, who is another famous biochemist and an expert in PLIP technology. Uh, I worked there until I joined the faculty at CWL. Great. So I, I want to start us off with a, a question regarding this topic that's general. So here's the question. If you had to give us a definition of nanomedicine, tell us what it is. How would you describe that to us? Yeah, well, uh, it's a very good question. And actually, when we uh, talk about more general nanotechnology, so people have several definitions. What is nano? But... Um, in physics, stand, uh, physics point of view, so nano is anything at one billionth of a meter scale uh, sizes. So with that definition, uh, if we have nanoparticles, so one can theoretically say something between one nanometer to like thousand nanometers is nano. But when it comes to medicine and, and practical purposes, uh, we see that uh, that range is not that uh, big. And anything falls within one nanometer to 100 nanometers or 200 nanometers. So those are actually nanoparticles. And when we use these nanoparticles for drug delivery or any other uh, therapeutic purposes, so then uh, we, can, we can collectively call them as nanomedicine. So that's the simplest and basic uh, definition. 
Okay, help us understand how small these particles are. Can you give us some scale compared to things that we do and see every day? Yes. So if you let's think about our height. So it's、um, we measure in the meter scale. So probably like average height is one point five meters per person. But so think about like then a little bit、uh, smaller object. So or a、uh, insect. So sometimes we have fireflies, like、uh, they measure like millimeter scale. That means one thousandth of a millimeter scale. Still, we can see. So if you take a standard ruler, so you will see the small scale division, one millimeter. But there are things even in between those that we cannot read. But still, we can see if it is one tenth of a millimeter by naked eye. So let's go a little bit down. And what about like a human cell? So they are micron size, micrometer. That is one millionth of a mi-、uh, meter. So we need actually optical microscope to investigate those. So now, if you go to viruses, let's say bacteria again. Before we go to viruses, so most of the bacterias, like they are in between two hundred nanometers to thousand nanometers, most of them. So. So you, that is like another one thousand of a micrometer. So here one billionth of a meter. So then you can see like, so this is the scale we are talking about. And then、uh, even in that scale,、uh, after two hundred nanometers, we can't see this bacteria. So with two、uh, hundred nanometers, actually we can see them under optical microscope. That's the limit, classical limit for optical microscope. But when you go below two hundred, and it is impossible to see using our classical optical microscope, there we use actually electron microscope, and then we can see tiny structures like viruses. Because most of the viruses that they are like below two hundred. So viruses are actually a, like like a natural、uh, nanoparticle. So or our DNA. So which is.、Uh, Which is in the nanometer size, or our proteins, so they are also in nanometer size. So, so that is actually a comparison、uh, I can I, I can give. And if you go beyond that, that we call it is atomic scale. So then we can see single atoms. So、uh, that that I think that this illustration would help you to understand、uh, the scale we are talking here. That's great. Thanks for helping us understand that.、Um, and in comparison, if you think of a traditional medication that is out there on the market, how does that compare to these nanoparticles in terms of size? How much bigger is a molecule of a drug on the market today compared to the things that you're working with? Actually,、um, most of the chemicals、uh, we see today,、uh, so they are actually、uh, below nano scale. The、small drug molecules, or、uh, but some are actually falls into、uh, this the this range of nano scale. But again,、uh, those are just single molecules, and they don't have any structure,、uh, nano nanoparticle type structure attached to it. But I would say、uh, they are, we don't consider them as、uh, nanoparticles or nano structures. Okay, great. So I want to get back to a personal question here, and、um, you had outlined for us your training in this particular field. 
And I personally wouldn't think of someone who is an expert in physics being involved in medicine. So tell us a bit more of your story about how you got involved specifically with nanotechnology and nanomedicine in your research. Uh, that's an interesting question. And even uh, when I was a child, I, I never thought of pursuing uh, my career and my research in nanomedicine, even though, even though uh, I wanted to uh, be a researcher and, and a teacher uh, in my life. So... I first acquired a taste for this biological physics. That's the big umbrella because nanomedicine falls under that. Uh, while I was doing my senior thesis at my university. And I did a project. It was related to gemology, radiation physics, and human health. <laughs> so you will see like it, it has so many flavors. It's, it's outside of the classical realm of uh, physics projects. So it was my first interdisciplinary uh, research. Uh, through that research project, uh, I realized the advantages of collaborating and, and collaboration among interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary uh, uh, areas. At the same time, uh, sadly, I saw how diseases like cancer uh, takes many lives daily, irrespective of uh, all the efforts uh, we offer through conventional uh, therapy and actually, I have my own personal experiences. And so it actually broke my heart. And many times when I see that sometimes we are helpless, even though we say we are technologically very advanced. So it was then I first realized physics could offer more to medicine than instrumentation and other things, and especially for drug design and, and discovery. So uh, that, that's how I initially got interest for nanomedicine. That's great. So I want to focus a little bit more on the research that you've been involved in um, throughout your training. So I know some of that has involved using a pH-sensitive peptide for novel drug delivery. So tell us a bit more, maybe in 60 seconds or less, about your research. Yes. Uh, uh, if I... I want to summarize that, actually, uh, PLIP technology is uh, based on a peptide delivery. It's a, just one type of uh, delivery method. And this PLIP stands for pH loss insertion peptide. Uh, that's the acronym. And it's not just one peptide. Actually, it, it's a family of peptides now. Uh, it is derived from uh, 37 amino acid peptide, original peptide, and then engineered into uh, get other, other variations of that. So... Uh, what PLIP does is actually this PLIP peptide can sense the extracellular acidity. So it is very sensitive to pH, outside pH or any pHs in the uh, physiological environment. So uh, when it senses the, the acidity in the uh, surrounding, actually it can insert into our cell membrane if it is in the vicinity of a cell membrane by creating an alpha helix. So it's a well-known well process. And then, so we can use this peptide. If you attach cargoes into both ends or one end, depending on how you how you need it, you can decorate it. And then we can utilize this peptide to deliver the drugs or flags into the cell or the decorate the outside of the cell. So actually, uh, PLIP is a targeting probe. So it, it itself is not toxic in, in the concentrations we use in therapy. 
That's great. So what I hear is we can use these novel peptides to insert other things, whether that is a probe or something that helps us diagnose a disease or particularly deliver a molecule that might treat the disease in a particular cell um, using these targeted technologies. Is that a fair way of maybe summarizing yes. the technology? Yes, yes. So uh, other thing is I want to add uh, the PIP can actually break the classical limits of drug delivery. That's great. So maybe you can tell us a bit more about that. So what advantages does nanotechnology offer over traditional pharmaceuticals that we use today? So how does it enhance, improve, or augment the medications we use now? Okay, so if you go back to nanomedicine, which is another big field, and why they, are, uh, they have more advantage uh, than our conventional therapy. Uh, so the nanoparticles are very unique. So with nanoparticles, actually, we can deliver lots of drug particles. So we can use a one nanoparticle. And we can we can uh, encapsulate. We can we can we can somehow like capture like many molecules and deliver safely into a targeting site. But with the conventional therapy, we can't do that. At the same time, with nanoparticles, we can change other parameters like all the pharmacokinetics and many other things. And this their longevity in our blood and, and so many other things. But just changing the shape and the size, basically. For ex- give, to give you an illustration uh, of the beauty of these nanoparticles, if you, if you go and uh, buy some painkillers from over the counter, let's say like uh, you have to get some generic drug and it's 200 milligram. So it's in this tablet shape. And we have the same drug, another company with the same components, the 200 milligram, but it is a capsule shape. But the shape doesn't matter over there. It's the same thing. So same effect. But nano. It is not. So if you change even one single parameter, manipulate that, the shape or the size, so you will get very different drug. It's a different platform. So, so in that way, it is very unique and interesting. But at the same time, we get the opportunity to manipulate uh, the surface physics and surface chemistry, chemistry at this scale. So uh, I would say with nano, uh, so we can increase the therapeutic index and the efficiency of the uh, drug. That's great. So if you think about this technology, I'm curious, can you give us a real-life example of how nanotechnology is already impacting the treatment of human diseases? Yes, uh, I would like to use the PLIP-based nanotechnology, which I'm very familiar with. So, oh, even before that, um, let's go for vaccines, (laughs) inactivated viruses mainly. They are in nature nanoparticles. So even before we talk about this nanotech and nanotech industry, actually we started using those things. And that's the prime example. So it, it actually changed whole landscape of our modern medicine with the invention of the, uh, these vaccines. And also, like, let's go to some of our um, original antibiotics. Uh, so let's say uh, gramicidine, for example, one of the first uh, commercial uh, topical uh, antibiotics in 1940s, which is now bad anyway. So, uh, so those are peptides actually derived from um, earth bacteria. 
and, and they form actually pores like in the nano size. They create nanopores and disrupt like the pathogenic cells or things. So that is history. So with this new term nanotechnology, if I go to flip technology, so uh, there are some things actually in the, uh, in the clinical phases right now and, and some are in the market. The very first nano drug like under this term came as doxil. So it's 1995, the Israel scientists, they developed that. So that is, they, they, they use a very simple platform. So they use classical doxorubicin, which is a very toxic molecule, and cancer drug, and they encapsulated that with a lipid vesicle. That's it. So, so that is an ingenious method. So that actually started like the, this modern uh, nano, nanomedicine era. So uh, when, when we talk about PLIP nanotechnology, which is uh, now under clinical trials, and so I have a very classic example uh, for diagnostic purpose. So let's say like uh, we want to do a surgery, cancer surgery. So surgeon always has to guess or determine like how much he should remove. And with cancer, with it involves acidity. So it is a hallmark of cancer. So if you want to think about like making something uh, fits for all sizes, and that's one of the hallmarks for cancer. So, so PLIP uses that hallmark. And if you decorate PLIP with some fluorescent dye and deliver, so what it does is it's selectively uh, attached to all the uh, tumor sites. And with the fluorescent uh, guided surgery methods, so the surgeon can actually remove uh, the cancer without any traces. So actually, uh, it, it's uh, now uh, uh, under clinical trials with the Memorial Sloan Catering Cancer Center in New York and for next year. So, and also, uh, they are also doing some other investigation tool with a PET scanning, how to do precision PET scanning using uh, this PET-related uh, uh, plate. So uh, those are some kind of like uh, applications. And for especially, especially for uh, nanotechnology, so there is an interesting thing called hi magnetic hypothermia. I think already the European Union, they started these magnetic nanoparticles to cook cancer, basically, <laughs> using a magnetic field, an alternative magnetic field. So I think it's a promising thing, and I work with that. So uh, I think uh, it will come into market very soon. Wow. And so one of the things I'm hearing from your answer is basically we're using nanoparticles to paint tumor cells. Yes. So that way a surgeon truly knows what he needs to go after. I mean, what a what an amazing technology. But really, when you think about the science behind it, yes. it's fairly simple. Yes. So, Dr. Pereira, in what other conditions do you um, see nanotechnology showing the most promise? You've mentioned oncology or the yes. treatment of cancer, do you think that's where this technology offers the most promise for medicine right now? Uh, no, it, it, it can expand into many other areas. The oncology is one of the hotspots, so, but you can use it for um, antibiotics and, and also uh, viral, treat viral diseases and, and many other things. So it's not limited to oncology. So it has the potential to use in many areas and even like gene therapy. So in non-communicable diseases, so we, so we can use nano platforms to deliver uh, genetic materials into cells. So we, we've talked about how nanotechnology can be used to target 
certain molecules or drugs getting to the right places. So would you say that it's fair that many nanotechnology solutions can be used to minimize adverse effects or those side effects that might be experienced when we compare it to a conventional drug? So let's say, for example, taking a medicine um, orally now, Mm -hmm. that drug may distribute through your whole body, right? Yes. Can nanotechnology target it such that the drug or the molecule is only delivered to the cells that really need it? Yes, it is possible. So only thing, we have to find a marker on the cell so that we can, we can target that. So here, with the PLIP technology, for example, we are using the acidic environment, which is unique to most of the cancers and other like uh, inflammatory diseases. So if it is, a, let's say, another disease, so then we can think about the, the surface of the cells and, for example, uh, some overexpressed receptor. So then if we have a way to like target that, there's a targeting or probe, so then we just do, do the decoration to whatever the nano, nano particle we have. So then we can make more specific, even without specificity, like the doxyl, for example. So there is no specificity. So it uses uh, the passive targeting, but it's still it is much safer compared to the using raw doxorubicine for treatment. So here at Cedarville, I know that you're planning to teach a new elective course for our students focused on the topic of using nanotechnology in medicine. Can you tell us a bit more about this course? Uh, actually, I'm very excited to offer this course. Uh, this is my first time here doing this course. And uh, uh, during this course, what I want to uh, highlight is to give the overview of this uh, whole field the nanotechnology so I want to open all the avenues for our students and so that they see like the potential and so they, they when they go beyond this this time like they will see like where the research lies and so it's actually a broad overview of everything and especially uh, we are talking about targeted drug delivery based on all type of uh, nanotechnology platforms so um, actually um, my course would encourage more interdisciplinary partnership uh, because nanotechnology is one place that everyone can come and collaborate. So, so we, we, with nanotechnology, we can have very nice interdisciplinary research. So, so that's one thing I'm going to encourage uh, during this course. Great. So do you have any parting words that you would want our listeners to know or be aware of regarding nanotechnology? Uh, yeah, I would say like uh, this is a very, uh, if you think about the economics related to this, so it's actually growing. And I think um, after a couple of years, so I don't know when, but nanotechnology will uh, overtake most of our conventional uh, medicine and other practices. So not only in medicine, even other fields. So it, it will change the landscape of many, many fields. But I would say like uh, what we can do is meanwhile, so we can learn more about it and we can be aware of like their potentials. Uh, as, as a university or the, uh, as a research, so we can invest more into this field uh, to, uh, to use uh, this, this new technology. That's great. Dr. Pereira, I want to say a huge thank you for joining us. You've opened my eyes to the potential of nanotechnology and its applications in medicine, and I'm hopeful that our listeners have learned quite a bit as well from you today, too. Thank you for having me. 
Well, that's all the time we have today. Thanks again for joining us. You've been listening to Disrupt, a podcast from the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. If you've enjoyed listening today, please feel free to subscribe and share this podcast with others. Be sure to tune in next time for more advancements in the world of pharmacy. Thanks for listening.